You are listening to the Art of Automation podcast with your host, Jerry Cuomo. Hey, welcome to the Art of Automation, a podcast that explores the application of automation in the enterprise. Um, wait one second, DJ, don't go too far. I'm going to need you later in the episode, okay? Um, hey, folks, today we have a special episode, one in a small series that will look at technology trends related to AI and automation that are both making significant breakthroughs, and as such, it's a topic that I highly recommend you pay attention to in the months to come. I hope my guest and I will first get you excited about the topic, and then we'll leave you with some links in the description section of the podcast so you can try out the technology and learn more, and maybe even start a project to try it on for size at your company. Our first special topic is foundation models. And without further ado, I'm going to invite my guest, Blaine Dolph, to join me and share some insights as to why we're so excited about this breakthrough in artificial intelligence. And by the way, folks, Blaine is a close colleague of mine in IBM Consulting, and he's an IBM fellow and has one of the most tuned eyes for spotting emerging technologies with a knack for helping users figure out how and where best to apply them. And with that, I'd like to welcome Blaine to this special episode of The Art of Automation. Welcome, Blaine. Hey, Jerry. Thanks a lot for having me. I really enjoy uh, some of your prior podcasts. <laughs> well, I thank you, Blaine. And I have a sneaking suspicion, given this special episode, it just might be a keeper as well. So, Blaine, can you start by providing our listeners with a definition of foundation models? And also, can you help highlight the breakthroughs that make them so awesome? Okay, sure. So foundation models are an AI technology. They've been around, I'd say, about five years, but really in the past two years have gained a lot of attention. And I think that's because they've become a lot more powerful lately. They've been consumable as cloud-based APIs, and that's led developers to launching really creative apps, which has caught you know sort of the general public's attention on this thing in, in the media. And the typical definition is that foundation models, they're models that are trained on very large sets of data, they can be fine-tuned to perform a wide range of tasks. And initially, the models were primarily text-based language models, like GPT yeah. and BERT, you know, around natural language. Yes. But really, any type of data can be part of a foundation model. You know, for example, images, videos, or speech. And by large, we mean really large, right? So GPT-3, for example, was pre-trained with petabytes of data by mm. collecting data that they crawled throughout the internet, all sorts of online books that were available, and also Wikipedia. So that's the definition. And then just like some reference, like a typical machine learning model versus a foundation model, like what's the range of parameter differences? Yeah, so a typical model is going to be probably between 10 million, say maybe 100 million parameters. And mm -hmm. a foundation model, you're, talk, you're starting to talk about 10 billion. GPT-3 was 175 billion. And you know wow. the, new, the newer ones that are coming out are going to be even larger than that. That's impressive. You asked about the breakthrough and what makes them so awesome. So I thought about like prior to foundation models, right? We'd go out to a customer to build an AI-powered solution of some sort, mm -hmm. and we'd spend significant time collecting the data sets, right? Even if the data sets were available in the first place. Then we'd spend hundreds or thousands of human hours labeling and training the data. 
And then after that, what you'd get is a model, but it would perform pretty much narrow tasks, such as say next best action, right? That's a good example. Yes. So the paradigm shift for foundation models, there's sort of three reasons, three sort of shifts that I see. Okay. One is that the foundation models, they're pre-trained with huge data sets like we talked about, but they use self-supervised learning approaches, which removes that bulk of the human labeling of the data mm, and therefore mm -hmm. makes them feasible to even begin with to create. Because there's such a large number of data, you couldn't have a human go out and tag everything, right? Yeah. So self-managing, that's important. Yep. And then number two is reuse in terms of the value. So once you have a foundation model, you really can get to your end state model that's bringing the value by fine-tuning that pre-trained model with a yeah. very small subset relatively rate of new data. And so one of our colleagues explained it to me like this, which, which resonated. And he said, think of it as, as a child. You know, you learned English. Right. Now, 20 years later, you go to law school. Law school doesn't have any classes in English. You, you fine-tune right. your brain with legal cases and laws on top of that English foundation you already have. So to me, that really brings it to life of what the value is in terms of the reuse. And Blaine, what was that third reason? So the model you end up with can be used for a general set of tasks versus a very narrow task. And in fact, once you get to a size of about the 10 billion parameters, the model becomes promptable. And what I mean by mm. that is you can actually ask it to do things using natural language. Ah, very nice. Hey, Blaine, can you walk us through some examples here? Because uh, what you're saying sounds good in theory. So share some <laughs> practice with us. Sure. Let me start with the language model GPT-3. So there's a company called OpenAI that's created and hosts this model. And you can access it using either an API or with a simple web interface. And that interface is called a playground. Hey, Blaine, I got an idea. Let me ask my digital twin, DJ, to help us out here. Okay. Given this is an all audio podcast... I think DJ can play back the audio responses from the playground <laughs> and make it perhaps more interactive, maybe easier to picture. And if that fails, he'll at least make it fun, if not a bit quirky. Okay. I feel honored DJ is uh, available on this. DJ happens to be here. Yes. He I know. Yeah. He's in, hard to find. Today. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's hard to lock down. Yeah. I know he's very busy. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So the playground, as I mentioned, it lets you explore the different sort of fine tunings that I mentioned that foundation models do really well. And with this one model, then you can give it prompts to do things like question and answers, text completion, or story summarization. Let's jump in and try two of those examples. So we'll try text okay. completion first. Yeah. So with text completion, well, you'd go out to the open API site, you go into the example section and pick text completion, and then you basically get a text box. And I'm going to type in this prompt, brainstorm three ideas for blog topics for the metaverse. Okay. So DJ, can you uh, give the response of what uh, OpenAPI gave? Sure thing. And I really do appreciate you and Human Jerry for asking me to help out. Okay, here goes. OpenAI gave three responses. Number one, exploring the possibility of social interaction in the metaverse. Two, examine how brands are leveraging virtual reality technology to enhance customer experience. Three, understand potential impact of the metaverse on business and society. Okay, and what I find really interesting about this is this wasn't like a search to a web page where somebody had put some ideas for blog topics. These mm, were dynamically mm. generated by the model. And you can, if you notice number two, it didn't even have the word metaverse in it. Right. So GPT-3 understood that metaverse had something to do with virtual reality technology, right? And it inserted it in there. Yeah, yeah, that is impressive. In fact, Blaine, there are several other cool, if not thought-inspiring examples of text completion. Yeah. And the cool part is that they generate complete and thoughtful responses, as you said. So 
One of the ones that I love to demo is the restaurant review generator. And if you don't mind, <laughs> let me sneak a demo in of this okay. yeah, that and good. give it a try here. So in OpenAI Playground, you just type a few words to seed the model and generate the review. So let's go with the name of the restaurant is, let's say, Blaine's Place <laughs> with the description of, let's just pick three things, hot food, great service, and fast. DJ, can you play back how the model would respond to that? Yes, sure. The generated restaurant review reads, I recently visited Blaine's Place and I had a wonderful experience. The food was hot and delicious, the service was great and the speed of service was fast. I would definitely recommend Blaine's Place to anyone looking for a great meal. All right, Blaine, maybe you can share just one more example. Yeah, let's take a summarization example, because I find this one, one of the most interesting things. What I've done here is, so Jerry, I've seen that you've been a pretty prolific podcaster as well as a blog writer, oh and boy. your blogs tend to be fairly technical. So uh -oh. I went out and looked for one. I found one called IBM Blockchain Platform Meets Red Hat OpenShift. Okay. And it had about 352 words. So I went into OpenAPI Playground and I said, can you summarize this text as if I was a second grader? Okay. Oh, and then I pasted in okay. the, the, the 352 words from your blog. Okay. And it came back with 48 words. So it was pretty concise. So DJ, can you uh, give the response? Okay. OpenAI Playground responded with, IBM and Red Hat have joined forces to make it easier to build and deploy blockchain networks. The new IBM blockchain platform is optimized to run on Red Hat OpenShift, a state-of-the-art enterprise platform, allowing users to deploy, operate, and grow blockchain networks in multiple cloud or hybrid cloud architectures. So to me, it really did. You know, I read your original. That really sort of netted it out, right? Yeah, it did. In fact, Blaine, funny story. I showed an example like this to a CIO last week, mm -hmm. and I said something like, while these exact examples don't necessarily apply to a day in the life of a CIO, he said, stop right there, Jerry. Most of what I do day to day is summarize <laughs> right. and distill things when it's managing up. I have to give a summary of why there was an outage last weekend or when I managed down, summarizing our new corporate strategy. So playing in this playground is something I highly recommend because it triggers thoughts for sure. And geez, Blaine, I was thinking... How do we make our day-to-day -day more productive? You know, I would love to use this to summarize our WebEx meetings. Yeah. Especially when I can't make it to a meeting and someone says, don't worry, Jerry, I'll record it or I'll send you a transcript. Well, quite honestly, I almost never have time to go back. But if you can summarize a 30-minute meeting to a couple paragraphs, well, that would work. Yeah, absolutely. And then if you'd see something in the summary that sort of interested you, then you could go into the more detail, right? Yeah. So Blaine, maybe carrying the point that you made earlier about stacking these models, like your example about learning English and then going to law school. And as an IBM fellow and thought leader for IBM Consulting, you know, how are you thinking about foundation models from a consulting perspective? Uh, yeah, sure. So I like to play with emerging technology as much as the next person, right? But what I really enjoy is applying the technology to help IBM Consulting's clients. And I really do believe that foundation models can dramatically accelerate AI adoption in the enterprise. This then in turn allows clients to create new digital experiences for their customers and also makes their internal work efforts more efficient. You know, with that, I'd say I'm focused on three areas. So one area that you and I are both working on with our colleagues is industry foundation models. So we're talking with CTOs at many of our clients to understand use cases for industries like financial services, healthcare, CPG, 
and also business processes like supply chain and contact center. And in each of these domains, there really is plenty of unlabeled data available in the enterprises, which can be used to train custom foundation models, which then potentially opens up, you know, solving business problems that weren't previously, they were maybe too time consuming to, uh, to solve. So that's number one. And number two is like, because of your podcast here, I have to mention automation, right? And I really do believe. <laughs> I was waiting I for you to that. get to that, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, of course, right? Yeah, yeah. I'd get on the cutting room floor here if I didn't mention automation. <laughs> but I do believe automation is a really great use case because if you think, and I do think foundation models pair really nicely with automation because I think of it as you have a business or an IT process flow. Those are made up of lots of steps. Right. And with automation, you go at each, look at each of those steps and say, hey, what could be automated? So to me, because foundation models are so general purpose, they're going to enable more of those steps to be automated with less coding because they can reach out and ask a model to do something. I see. Makes sense. And I sort of tie it to, you know, in automation, you use the word skills. So I think of one of these foundation models having a broad range of skills. Okay. Automation makes a lot of sense. Well, you know, I was going to like that one. And your third? Yeah. So I think that foundation models will really impact the software development experience. Agreed. An example that's out available now is GitHub Copilot. And that yes. is like, a, you know, it's like an AI powered pair programmer, right? That's not yeah. available yet on, I don't think on enterprise accounts, but at least, you know, as an individual, you can go out and try that. And this has a lot of potential, especially I think for junior developers to help them when they get stuck. And I think if you had a foundation model that could write really high quality unit tests, I think that will greatly help. And also using an IBM model called CodeNet. And that can modernize legacy code into more modern container-friendly languages. There's just a lot of productivity gain that's possible here. Oh, very cool. Boy, can only imagine if I had access to this technology when I was a junior developer. Jeez. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. So, Blaine, our listeners are clearly intrigued now. What advice do you have for them to do next? What's the next steps? Where do you go to learn, experience more? If you're a business person, if you're an IT developer type, where do you go next? Yeah, so I want to set the um, the understanding that this we're still in the very early stages, right, of using foundation mm-hmm. models for industry and enterprise clients. A lot of the cases I've cited are more consumer-based, right, and sort of getting people excited and exploring. You know, I would for sure go out to OpenAI. I'd go out to a site called Hugging Face and explore the models there, you know, via their playgrounds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If I was a business user, I'd start to think through the use cases for my industry where foundation models could have a big impact and then work with a dev team to build some sort of demo. And I'd also think broader than just text data, right? Think about images, video, and speech. If you, if you go look at a Dolly 2, that's a really great example where they've trained images yeah. and text together, and you can actually use natural language to actually create, create new images. Good. Yeah, and if I was a developer, I can go two ways. I'd build some demos that leverage a foundation model. Or two, if you're really passionate on the data science side, you know, dig deeper into how you create and fine-tune the models. And also, you know, keep in mind that because of the nature of reuse of the foundation models, it's really important that they don't include bias so that you're not baking that that bias into your foundation model that's going to be reused. Very good. So, Blaine, thank you very much. This is certainly a technology trend related to AI and automation that we're going to keep a very close eye on as we get into the new year. I want to just thank you for your clear articulation of the space. You certainly made me even more excited about this, if that's possible. Good. Yeah, I look forward to working with you on it You know, next year. Okay. This episode's a wrap. I hope now that if foundation models weren't on your mind, they are now. And perhaps you're curious and excited about them, and you might even start thinking about how you might apply these where you work. Well, 
We've attached some links in the description area of the podcast for you to learn more and play around with these models. And Blaine and I would love to hear from you and give you a helping hand to sort out how to apply them and to share our updates on what we're doing inside IBM on this breakthrough trend in artificial intelligence. Okay, folks, that's it for today. And if you enjoyed this podcast, it's also likely that you'll enjoy the Art of Automation book, which is now available. A link to the book is available in the description section, and royalties from this book are being donated to the American Cancer Society. Okay, once again, I'd like to thank Blaine, and of course, I'd like to thank you all for listening in. This is Jerry Cuomo, IBM Fellow and VP for Technology at IBM. See you again on an upcoming episode.